You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Most enterprises use disparate systems to manage spend. The result? A reactive manual approach. CFOs and controllers, you deserve better. You deserve a unified spend platform from Brex. Brex makes it easy to proactively control spend with cards, spend management, travel, and bill pay in one place. You can create budgets with controls built in, track and adjust in real time to keep teams accountable, and automate compliance to close the books faster. Ready to control your spend with one unified platform? Visit Brex.com. One of the hardest lessons for any actor to learn is to not take the constant rejection we face personally. Adrian Walker and I continue our conversation with stories from our own struggles and failures in the audition room and on stage. The director called me after rehearsal and said, well, do we need to bring someone else in here to do this? Like, it just felt disrespectful. It felt like he didn't value what I brought to the table at all. And I've I've never felt more replaceable. Welcome back to Why I'll Never Make It, or Win Me for short. Here you'll find an honest look at the realities of a career in the arts. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, a backstage expert and theater coach. You can get extra insights on the podcast and its guests by subscribing to the monthly Win Me newsletter. And in doing so, you'll get the free ebook, Creative Wisdom. And you'll be the first to know of special offers and resources for the Win Me community. That and more can be found at the website whyillnevermakeit.com. When it comes to auditions, there are three basic reactions that we actors have. There's the joy and elation of nailing the scene or the song and really connecting with those in the audition room. On the flip side, there's the frustration and disappointment of messing up or maybe not being as prepared as we thought we were. And then there's the third one. And for me, this is the dreaded shoulder shrug, I don't know, ambivalence of what just happened in the room. I kind of walk out of the room not really sure how I did. Yet, the job of us actors is to pick ourselves up and move on to the next one. (laughs) That, of course, is certainly easier said than done. For part two of our conversation, Adrian and I swap stories of fateful auditions and performances. We also get into her YouTube series called 32 Bar Cut, where she seeks to help others navigate this tricky business. But first, I dig a little deeper into something she said in part one about bringing her blackness into the audition room and try to gain a better understanding of of what that means to her. When I say I bring my black self into the audition, I just mean that I'm very aware that the casting process is dependent upon looks and, 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 and everything. And so I know that I may or may not book the job uh, because of my blackness and not simply based on talent. They, you know, so that's what I mean by that. Not so much how, how I portray myself. Everything I go in is very, I feel like, I hope I'm doing it, is very character driven. And um, I don't really see myself putting on anything that doesn't feel natural to me. I really hate, uh, this happens a lot in TV and film auditions for me. I'm not great at uh, putting on a character that has 
grown up in a, a, a crime riddled area or, you know, um, can speak with slang with ease. It's not really something I do easily, but you know, if you, if you want to see a Southern girl, I got you, you know, I'm from Georgia, I can do that. So um, that part is difficult because I wish that I could tap into that, but it does feel like a bit of a war um, because if I tap into it, then that means that, Hey, look, I'm an actor and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but it also feels like I am, I don't know. Um, uh, I don't, I don't really say, think stereotype, but it feels like I am putting on someone else's clothes and that doesn't feel good. Yeah. Because then you don't want to perpetuate any of those stereotypes. You don't want to just, you, you want to show that diversity of, you know, this is one way a black person is. Here's another way. Here's another voice, you know, the way you sing, the way you carry yourself. Yeah. It's all, it's, there's not just diversity of color, but there's diversity within each color. Yeah, absolutely. And don't get me wrong. I celebrate all types. It's not that, that I um, feel like, you know, I live in Brooklyn, so it's not like I'm saying, you know, the girl down the street, you know, cussing somebody out is not uh, worth her salt on the screen. You know, I want to see her too, but I don't want to pretend to be her for the sake of booking a job. I feel like someone else can play her better than I can. And I want to see that person do it uh, rather than me trying to pretend to be something I, I don't do well. I That irks me when I see when I see that, <laughs> if that makes any sense. It does, it does. What we've been talking about, is that the inspiration that led you to start 32 Bar Cut? Well, actually, I um, it, it all kind of sprang up for me in May of 2020. I was Board. I was I was staying at my in-laws in Holt Summit, Missouri, which is outside of Jefferson City, Missouri. Uh, wouldn't even know it existed if my husband's dad didn't live there. Yeah. So um, I was. We were staying with them, and I was needing a creative outlet. So honestly, I was going to start a blog. I was just going to start a blog where I just talk about what I'm up to and what I'm doing. And my sister pointed out to me like that, I, you know, that this was not my passion. What are you doing? And I was like, oh, you're right. Let me sit and think about what I am passionate about. And that's kind of how 32 Bar Cut was born. And the name came to me simply because that's what you're you're asked to bring in for general musical theater auditions. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, that's a great name for a blog. I'll call it 32 Bar Cut and looked up on the uh, the Internet, you know, if, if 32 Bar Cut dot com was taken and it wasn't. I was like, how is this not taken? So I just went ahead and got a, you know, a domain and then Instagram and Twitter. And I thought, OK, let me come up with what this is going to be now that at least I have the platform for it. And I talked with some friends about my ideas and they kind of steered me towards creating a YouTube channel instead of a blog because it's more accessible and more searchable. And I decided that with my knowledge of kind of having an unconventional uh, route to Broadway that I would speak on that and then also just give audition advice because I worked as a reader for quite some time and I've seen so many auditions and I feel like I've seen what goes right and what goes wrong and kind of why. And I thought, oh, let me help people out with this a little bit, you know? And uh, that's really kind of how it was formed. And since then, 
it's uh, kind of turned into something similar to what you're doing. I just interviewed some friends. And so I'm just going to sit down with friends and chat with them and talk to them about their audition experiences and any guidance they can give, because I can only give so much and I can't sit down and talk forever because I, I mean, I've made my way, but I don't consider myself my way, the only way. And so I want to sit down with friends and, and chat about that. And so that's going to happen February 19th. That'll be the first episode. And it's been really fun and difficult and it's pushed me in a way that I wasn't expecting at all. I'm sure you've experienced that with your podcast, Why I'll Never Make It, is yeah. that, you know, you have an idea and then it it takes flight and you get to watch it flourish. And that's kind of what 32 Bar Cut has felt like for me. And it's been fun. It's been rewarding. I've gotten to connect with, you know, young performers and, and encourage them and give them guidance. And it's way more than I could have imagined. And it's still just, you know, a small following, but it really fills me up and makes me feel like I'm helping or contributing while I have this extra time to do so. And for the advice and the stories that you tell through 32 Bar Cut, what advice have you given that seems to have resonated the most with the, the followers and listeners you have? Actually, the, the Black Hair on Broadway one. I was so scared to put it out there. I hadn't planned it. I read this uh, one follower's question and I got so triggered by it that I just like turned on the camera and just spoke. And I was so afraid because I didn't know how people would receive it. Uh, I knew that, you know, other people would have a, a different experience and think, oh no, you should look like your headshot. It's not a big deal. but. Like we've said before, our hair textures are different. You know, someone who's also black but has a different hair texture than me might be able to pull it off, no problem. But I can't. And girls with texture like textures like mine can't do it. So I was nervous and I was so surprised by the response and you know, just the the number of people who shared it and wrote to me personally. I had, you know, a few emails and a few messages from folks who wrote to me personally and, you know, wanted to see things change. And so, yeah, that's the one that's impacted me the most. Well, it has made the most impact. Um, it scared me the most, but it made the most impact. And with the audition advice that you give, what um, what nuggets or pieces of advice have, have you felt has has resonated and been the most helpful to people? I think uh, the first one I noticed was talking about rejection. I shared a really personal story um, about <laughs> uh, being invited to do a workshop and thinking, and, and the role was life-changing. Had I booked, had I moved with the show, it would have changed my life. And I was so excited to be chosen. I had another why me moment, you know, and it was at a time where I was struggling vocally so even though the role was perfect for my voice, because my voice hadn't yet healed, I couldn't put my best foot forward. I, I went to the ENT. I got a steroid shot. I was doing everything I could. But I think that the director no longer had confidence in me. And even though I sang the presentation, like no one in the audience could tell. But because I had had a few hiccups just in that one week of the 29-hour reading, um, and who else knows? I can't cast myself. I don't know why else they didn't pick me. But um, 
that was really difficult to book something so quickly. It was just a one quick audition. You know, they hired me for the 29 hour reading. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And the people that were in the room, the people that were cast alongside me were just amazing. And I thought, wow, this could really change my life. This could really prop me up. And the sad thing about our profession is that you don't really get a follow-up. No one ever says, hey, you know, thank you so much, but we're going to go a different way. It's like you, you, you don't hear back. You just hear that they're doing a workshop and you're not invited. I wish it wasn't like that. I wish that, you know, that producers or, you know, <laughs> the creative team, you know, took, took a little more kindness for us folks at the bottom. And, um, yeah, because when we're cast in a show, it's great to get the feedback from the director or the choreographer, and then you then you work on things, you fix things. But yeah. in an audition setting, nine times out of ten, it is just silence. We get no oh, yeah. feedback. We, you know, we'll go to our agent or whoever and be like, "Did they say anything?" I mean, that's you know, we we just want something. You'd be like, "Yeah, work on this," or "Here's why we didn't do that." But yeah, that silence can just it, it because then we're in our head. And we're yeah. coming up with our own reasons yeah. and it may be the right reason or it may be completely wrong. Yeah. I think it, that is the difficult part. And it's funny because in the classical world, when I was auditioning um, for programs or for grad school or anything like that, I always got a rejection letter. I always got a letter, you know, to, you know, tie it up really nicely. <laughs> and that's just not the case in theater. I, I'm not sure why that isn't the culture. I know that it, it's so competitive and there's hundreds and hundreds of folks, but yeah, it, that part is still challenging. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it definitely is. It definitely is. Yeah. It's one of those things where I think casting directors just have so much on their plate. So it's just not something that they want to devote time to because it's not going to get them, you know, to, to the, because they, they have, they have jobs too. They have to, to get the next job, the next show. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's something that they're working on themselves. Yeah, definitely. So the lesson is, okay, how can you train yourself to not care? How can you leave it in the room? <laughs> right. And I'm going to go get a croissant, you know, And you had mentioned, especially as singers, that our, our voice is really what we come into the room to, to show off, you know, and mm -hmm. when it's not at 100%, we have to adjust or maybe we can't do that audition, whatever. But I, I had a similar experience to you in a show that I was doing. It was an off-Broadway, but it was, you know, showcase. So it's like a 800 bucks and that's, that's all you get. It, it was one of those where the music, the role really resonated with me and it was going great. Then we get into opening week and just the busyness of tech, the busyness of the, the of the rehearsals and not getting enough sleep. And so by the time we're starting to open, my voice was just not what it was. It was maybe 80% of what it needed to be. And and I, I had some pretty rangy stuff that I had to do. And, you know, then the music director's having to come in, okay, well, let's let's alternate this and maybe, you know, take this alternate note. And and they're then they're checking up on me. How are you feeling? So I I felt like that they were taking care of me, but I also felt like an imposition. And I felt mm -hmm. like that I was failing my job as a singer. And so th th they did some altering of notes and this and that. And then once we got past that opening weekend, then my voice started to come back and then, then I was back to normal. But I do feel like that week of not being 100% affected what they thought of me. And, and, and as you say, that maybe the director just didn't have the faith in me that, that they once did. And so after that show, there was another presentation of the musical and everyone was asked back but me. You know, so yeah. it's, it's one of those where it's like, 
oh, so they they really had no more faith that I could do this role. So they they kept it going without me. Yeah, it's a terrible feeling. And with that show in particular, the music was very challenging. So I had spent the month before we even went into the 29-hour reading working on the, on the music. Uh, even though my voice wasn't completely healed, I was like, well, I have to dedicate time because this is not simple music. And after the, uh, I think it was the third day where my voice started acting funny, the director called me after rehearsal and said, well, do we need to bring someone else in here to do this? And I thought, no, you don't. But also, do you know how hard this music is? <laughs> like, I don't, okay, good luck finding someone. Like, it just felt like, it was, it felt disrespectful. It felt like um, that he didn't value what I brought to the table at all. And I've, I've never felt more replaceable, you know? Mm. And so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a director do that whenever I was doing a production of Les Mis. And it was the first time I'd done it, you know, a regional production. And we had just... So I was playing Anjaras, and so the barricade scene is kind of one of his big ones where he's, you know, leading the leading the troops, so to speak. And, you know, I, it's our first time doing the scene. I have my book, which is basically the score, trying to follow along, write things down, do this, uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm looking for lines. And, th- you know, it's our first time through. We finished that rehearsal. The director pulls me aside do we need to have someone like go over lines with you or spe- do we need some special rehearsal? To- and I'm like, well, it's the first day. So maybe let me just get through the first day. And then by the next time we do it, I'll, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's those times where directors really have a lot of power of, of, of putting little seeds in our brain that can mm-hmm. be great seeds that grow big and strong or seeds that just wilt. And then we have no confidence. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Um, <laughs> so I guess the work is within us, right? Mm-hmm. To to take it on because you can't change other people. But I I remember that moment. It took me a while to get over that. It was just difficult. It was a really it was a really tough time, and I I got an inside look into the workshop because uh, someone I know was uh, the one of the key players when the, when the production kept going forward and it was just a toxic environment. So I actually really dodged a bullet and you don't know that at the time, it just feels like, you know, why is this happening to me? This feels so awful. I want these feelings to end. And then you kind of have to see on the other side of it, well, maybe this wasn't for me and that's okay. And I can have peace with that. I think that's one of the hardest lessons us actors have to learn is that a lot of times it isn't personal. It's just what the role requires, what the show needs, a mix of cast that you may be great for a role, but not with this particular person that they do, you know. So it's there's so many things that go into why we're not cast. And a lot of it isn't us. Certainly we have our own things. We need to be at the top of our game prepared for an audition. But a lot of times there's so many other factors. And that's that's hard to to reconcile with when it's so personal, the emotions that we bring, the song, the voice that we give to our character. It's so personal that when that is said no to, it's they're saying no to me, not to just a a performance or that particular character. They're saying no to me. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. Because we tie so much of our self-worth or I don't, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I have in the past tied a lot of my self-worth into my talent. And that's only measured by whether I book something or not. Right. right. So yeah, when I was losing my voice in 2019, I, I was like, well, I'm not worth anything. If I can't sing, then what's the, you know, who am I? You know, that's been my edge. Yeah. My whole career is, is my voice. And so there's a lot of life lessons in that. And I actually think something like 32 Bar Cut is the remedy for that. Well, I can also help people. It's not just about performing. I can also help. I can provide advice and reassurance and ex- personal experience stories and, and all of that. How has your definition of, of making it, of succeeding, how has that changed over the years? Ooh, that's a good one. I thought that Broadway was making it. Yes, So when I booked Nala and I was on my flight back to my tour, I was like, I made it. Oh my God. And it came out of nowhere, you know? So I was like, wow, you know? And then I I moved to New York and I started rehearsals and I was like, this is hard and not as glamorous as I thought it was going to be at all. You know, like (laughs) this Ripley Greer that they keep having me rehearsing is the ceilings are so low. I feel like when I jump, I'm going to knock my head off, you know? So it just, it, it was not what I expected at all. And so then I thought, well, when I book my next show or when I book a, 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 an original Broadway show, then I would have made it. What I have discovered when I really sit down is that I have to learn how to be happy with wherever I am now. Because when I book that one job that I think is going to make me happy or that I think is going to change my life, I still may not be happy. And so, and that is, you know, kind of been the case. So I need to figure out what happiness looks like, what contentment looks like, and hold true to that no matter what jobs I book or don't book or, you know, whatever my voice is doing. But have I, do I feel like I've made it? Absolutely not. <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever feel like I've made it. And I don't know if I want to make it, whatever that means, because um, I don't know what that means mentally. I don't know what that means, what will happen to my personality when I feel like I've made it. You know, so I think for me, it's just about feeling joyous in whatever I'm doing and feeling fulfilled in it. And that, I feel like that's like, ah, I'm doing something I love and someone's paying me for it. Or I'm doing something I love and I'm not getting paid at all, but I'm I'm helping people. So that feels good, but made it? Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is certainly a beautiful place to be when you can find that contentment in whether you're in a community theater or a Broadway show and everywhere in between where you can find contentment in each of those different parts of our creative journey. Absolutely. One of my favorite roles was at a community theater. Like I was in Hammond, Indiana, and uh, I actually paid, I actually came out of pocket to actually do it because, um, and I love the guys that run the theater. They're awesome, Jeff and Kevin, but um, they were offering $300 to do the production. And, you know, there's rehearsals all over the place. And then, you know, three weekends of the show. And I wanted to do it because I hadn't done a principal role yet. And I was like, well, it was, they were doing Brooklyn, the musical, Mm -hmm. and I was cast as Paradise. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's so fun. I got to do this. And so I was like, okay, okay. So I took the train out there 
And that's when I discovered that the money wasn't going to add up. I was like, ooh, the train, uh, the train round trip, I think it was like seven something. And I said, you know, over time with all the rehearsals you have and everything, it's going to cost me uh, 700 bucks just to go out there. Oh, wow. And so they were like, okay, well, don't tell anyone. I mean, it's, it's years, it was years ago now. So I'm telling everybody now, but they were like, don't tell anyone, but we will bump your salary up to 500. Can you still do it? And I was like, yes, I'll do it. Cause I wanted to do it. And I had so much fun in that role. Like, you know, um, with Brooklyn, they, they're creating, it has this look of them creating their own costumes. So all of the costumes had that look and that feel because they actually were making, you know, costumes out of garbage and thrift store, dives and it was so much fun it was so much fun and it I grew a lot from that experience and it's at a community theater not Broadway at all but it was a lot of fun as much as you and I may long to be on the Broadway stage heck just any stage right now would mean a great deal It's all about realizing that joy and even contentment can be found no matter where we are, no matter what job or show we're doing. And it is that kind of mindset that will not only get us through the tough times where things aren't going quite the way we want them to, but it will also give us a greater appreciation for those wonderful moments of artistic fulfillment. And if you'd like to find more fulfillment than frustration, Maybe it's time for a tune-up, a fresh look at your monologues or songs or even your self-tape process. Whether you're looking to work on the artistic or the business side of your career, I'd be happy to help you in any way I can at any point along your creative journey. With support as well as concrete steps to bring more ease and confidence to your performance. You can reach out to me for coachings or consultations at whyillnevermakeit.com. Thank you so much for joining me and Adrian this week. If you've got something out of this episode that means something to you, I would greatly appreciate it if you would share this podcast with someone who you think could benefit from this conversation. Well, I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of recording, editing, and producing this podcast. Music in this episode provided by Blue Dot Sessions and John Bartman. Why I'll Never Make It is a part of the Helium Radio Network and a member of Broadway Makers Alliance. Join me next week with actor, producer, and Star Wars voiceover artist Bree Ely as we talk more about Why I'll Never Make It. Most enterprises use disparate systems to manage spend. The result? A reactive manual approach. CFOs and controllers, you deserve better. You deserve a unified spend platform from Brex. Brex makes it easy to proactively control spend with cards, spend management, travel, and bill pay in one place. You can create budgets with controls built in, track and adjust in real time to keep teams accountable, and automate compliance to close the books faster. Ready to control your spend with one unified platform? Visit Brex.com. 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 